Our theme in our ongoing sermon series is what we've been calling the habits of grace. We are a people who seek to know, who seek to grow in the grace of God. And we know that growth in part as we seek and serve him in these habits of the Christian life, in these disciplines that he calls us to nurture and sustain the habits of grace. And remember, the particular habit that we got to talking about last Sunday morning was the Christian practice, the Christian discipline that the Bible calls meditation. And remember, last Sunday morning, we trained our attention on one verse in particular in Psalm 119 in order to reflect upon that. Psalm 119, verse 27 says this, Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate. I will meditate on your wondrous works. So on the one hand, remember the psalmist wants to grow in his understanding of God's word, and that's why he prays the way that he does in that verse. He says, make me understand. And on the other hand, he also knows how this works. He knows that at the same time that he asks God to teach him like that, Well, he, the psalmist, also needs to be resolved to play his part, which is to be the kind of man who meditates upon that word. And that's something that ought to be true of us as well. On the one hand, we cry out to God for understanding. On the other hand, we're determined to be the kind of people who meditate upon that word, who who think deeply and patiently about it, because that's precisely what makes for the understanding that we want to experience. Meditation, thinking deeply and patiently and purposefully about some subject in God's Word. Remember, it's not a matter of of emptying the mind. Instead, it's a matter of filling the mind with God's truth to consider it and to bring it home. And that's something that we can do sitting or standing, jogging or driving, washing dishes, folding laundry, body in motion, eyes wide open. The one who meditates upon the gospel holds it before his eyes like a multifaceted jewel and turns it and studies it as each facet, one after the other, captures the light and shows us something new. So that's what we talked about last week, meditation. Whatever precisely it's going to look like in your life in the course of a day, in the course of a week, you want it to be the case that you're somebody who takes God's truth and who turns it over in your mind, reflecting, considering, connecting. And we talked a little bit last week about what that, what that might look like for you practically. It could be a few minutes that you have in the car. And you take those few minutes to bring to mind last Sunday's sermon and what it might mean for you today. Could be going for a walk and listening to Scripture and then going over in your mind the truths of Scripture that you just heard. Could be getting ready for some Bible study meeting by doing the reading in advance and then thinking about what you might share with others when the study meets. See, this is something that can be woven into the fabric of our daily lives. And when we appreciate that, I think it helps us then to be the kind of people who take up this calling. I'll give you an example from my own experience. Just yesterday, I had an encouraging meditation moment 
just yesterday morning. I was uh, driving north on my way to Gaithersburg, Maryland. I was going to cross the river. And I was heading there because I was going to play a few songs in an outdoor farmer's market event. And, and, you know, there's something about any circumstance in which you have to get up and perform that you expect that you're going to be evaluated. You might even say you're going to be judged. And depending upon how things go, you might be judged and found wanting. Depending upon how things go, you might get up in front of folks and and fail and be judged accordingly. So I'm driving north on the Beltway and then on 270. And what am I going to do with that time? What I did with it was to reach for Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As I drove north over those miles on those interstates. I just went over that. I meditated upon that. I took that beautiful statement. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I I worked it over in my mind so as to knead it, to press it into my own heart so that I could go to that event knowing that I was free. Reminded that I was greatly loved by God and set free by the gospel of God. And that's the kind of thing that can be true for all of us in so many different settings. Whether it's, you know, going to perform on a stage or a presentation you've got to make at work or a, a test that you've got to take at school or meeting somebody important and you want to make a good impression. It becomes a meditation moment. And you reach for a verse like Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you take that time, you seize that window to think about it. And to think about it patiently and purposefully so that it makes in your life the difference that it ought to make as you make your way to this or that occasion. So I offer that up just as an example because it's fresh in my mind from yesterday, an encouraging meditation moment. Because yes, believe it or not, you can have them on the Beltway and on Interstate 270 as well. So that's why I say that this business of meditation, and we'll we'll return to this today, this isn't just for seminary professors and PhDs. This is the stuff of ordinary Christian living. You want it to be the case that you're somebody who takes God's truth and turns it over in your mind. And you can find those little ways throughout the day, throughout the week, to practice that. And as you practice it, you taste and and see that it's good. You taste the sweetness of it, and you want more. So this week, I thought we'd keep going with the theme of meditation. You can probably tell that's the case from what I've stuck in your bulletin today. There's so much in the book of Psalms about Christian meditation. It keeps coming up over and over again in this much-beloved book that is the book of Psalms. It strikes me as somewhat ironic 
the book of Psalms is this one book of the Bible that nearly everybody's drawn to. It's poetic, it's lyrical, it's prayerful, it's expressive, it's all of that. And so there are whole Bible reading programs that have you read through the book of the Psalms more than you read any other book of the Bible. Understandably so. And yet, this one book of the Bible that nearly everybody's drawn to, it's also shot through with this idea of meditation, which not quite so many people are drawn to. People like the idea that you can pour out your soul to God in prayer, and rightly so, that's a biblical idea. But what if they realize that when you pour out your soul to God in prayer, you're also supposed to meditate upon the Word of God and take it personally? And that that should be a discipline that marks your life. Would the book of Psalms be quite so popular? It's not just about talking to God. It's also about taking the time to stop and think about what we hear from God. That's in the Psalms too. Would the book of Psalms be quite so popular if it were broadly understood that that's a running theme in it and that it's not just about talking to God? Well, it should be. It should be popular. It should be beloved for that very reason. The idea that we're supposed to meditate upon the Word of God and take it personally, that's not a drawback. That's not a burden. As if it were a mark against the book of Psalms. That's one of the blessings of it. That's the kind of thing that ought to draw us to the book of Psalms instead of driving us away from it. That it sets before us that well-rounded understanding of the Christian life in which we, we bear our souls to God in prayer but also listen to Him and meditate deeply and patiently upon what we hear from Him. So, what are we going to do this morning? It's a little different from what we normally do. What we normally do on Sunday mornings is to take one verse, one passage, and dig into it and unpack it and make the most of it What we're going to do this morning is different. You can tell from the insert I've stuck there in your bulletin. We're going to notice this theme of meditation in the book of Psalms in a whole bunch of passages, and not just one of them, and then we're going to piece some of these things together and reflect upon lessons that we can learn from them. So let me pray for us, and then we'll turn to God's Word. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word. Not in spite of the calling to stop and think deeply upon it, but precisely because of that calling. For here there is great blessedness. And so we ask this of you in these moments this morning, that we might taste something of that blessedness together now. For we would hear your word. And then we would consider it carefully together that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask it in his name. Amen. So take the insert that you've got there in your bulletin, headed Meditation in the Psalms. As I read through these passages, I'm not going to have a whole lot to say about them at first. Let's just listen together. Follow along if you'd like, and then we'll go back and notice some lessons that we can learn from them. Beginning 
fittingly enough, with Psalm 1. Meditation isn't just a running theme in the Psalms. It is the opening note of the whole book. Psalm 1, verse 1. Take a look at your handout. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither in all that he does. He prospers. And then Psalm 1 goes on from there to to say more about this contrast between the wise man and the fool. Next, Psalm 19. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 49. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. Psalm 63. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Striking there that the psalmist says, I will meditate on you. See, there's something personal about this. To meditate upon the Word of God is, we can say, to meditate upon God Himself because the Word is a revelation of who He is, a revelation of His mind and will. Psalm 77. This is certainly one we're going to come back to here in just a minute. Psalm 77. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. And then several verses later, he resumes, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate 
on your mighty deeds. Psalm 104. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him. For I rejoice in the Lord. And then, Psalm 119, a number of verses in that long psalm that touch on this theme. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. That's the verse we looked at last week. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And then here's a good verse for back to school. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night, that I may meditate on your promise. You see how it runs through Psalm 119. And then just a few more. Psalm 143, nearing the end of the book now. It says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. And then finally, Psalm 145. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Psalm 145. So there we hear again what we've heard before, which is that this is the kind of thing that we need to be resolved to do over and over again. The psalmists say, I will do this. Though, though it be swimming upstream in a world like this, I will be this kind of person who thinks deeply and patiently about the Word of God. I will meditate. So there you have a sampler from the Psalms, selections from the Psalms, in which this, this idea, this word, keeps coming up of meditation. Now, Let's learn some lessons. I'm not going to comment on all of the verses that we just heard. I did want you to to hear all of them so that you could feel something of the sweep of this theme in the Psalms. But I want to focus on just a few of them, point out a few lessons that we can learn here. There are four of them. First lesson is this. And this comes from Psalm 1, right out of the gate. To be somebody who meditates upon the Word of God who takes the time to stop and think about it, to ponder it, to reflect upon it, to turn it over in your mind. Here's the point. 
That is one of the hallmarks of the truly happy life. To be somebody like that, who loves the Lord your God with your mind like that, that is one of the hallmarks of the truly happy life. Look again at Psalm 1. He says, Blessed is the man, in verse 2, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This is why I say this isn't just for seminary professors and scholars. This is the stuff of ordinary Christian living. Or to put it another way, meditation isn't just for monks and hermits. As soon as you say the word meditation, that's what comes to mind for a lot of Christians. This idea that there's this contemplative life that's the province of only a select few who bail out on real life and who commit themselves to just thinking all the time instead, monks and hermits. But it is not so. Meditation, what the Bible means by it, is one of the hallmarks of the truly happy, happy life for every Christian. This is for busy professionals and even busier young moms. This is for 10th graders and grandparents of 10th graders. This is for college students and, yes, seminary professors and scholars. We won't leave them out. This is for all of us. This is an equal opportunity calling. And there's something so wonderful about the way it sits right at the beginning of the whole book of Psalms. It's like this is inscribed on the gateway that leads you into the Christian life from the very beginning. Imagine showing up to a party that you've been told is for everybody, but then when you get to the gate, you find that you're turned away because it turns out it was only for a select few. Your name wasn't on the list. You didn't have the proper credentials. You didn't have the right connections. Sorry, this isn't for you. But not so here. The Christian life, including thinking deeply about God's truth, And drinking deeply of Christian blessedness as a result, that's for everyone who names Jesus' name. And Psalm 1, sitting at the very beginning of the book, says so as you make your way in. Psalm 1 says, come on in, all of you. Come on in and love the Lord your God with all your mind and soul and heart and strength. You've got all the credentials that you need because you're in Christ and he's in you. And that's all that matters. So whatever reservations you might harbor about whether this is for you, if you're a Christian, this is for you. The calling to meditation, the calling to be somebody who goes through their days, through their weeks, through their life thinking about what God has said. So that's the first one. This is one of the hallmarks of the truly happy life. Here's a second one, second lesson we can learn here. The way that we, we think about the Word of God as we meditate upon it is not free from the holy judgment of God, His holy gaze and evaluation. In other words, our internal lives our mindful, thoughtful lives, this is an aspect of our lives that we want to be pleasing to Him. 
And it matters that we go about this aspect of our lives in a way that is holy and pleasing to him. And this comes out in Psalm 19. Look again at Psalm 19. Verse 14. And I think these are familiar words for for many of us. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my, my rock and my redeemer. This is something that, in a sense, though it may be hidden away from the view of others, it's not hidden from God, and we want this to be something that we offer up to him as acceptable to him the way that we think about his word. Or look at Psalm 104, because it comes out there too. Psalm 104, verse 34. He says, May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. What's going on in our minds as we think about God's word is something that that we want to be pleasing to him. And notice the difference here. Notice the difference compared to what we're used to in earthly life. When it comes to civil law, right, the law of the land, generally speaking, the rule is you can think anything you want. Right? You can think hateful thoughts. You can even think violent thoughts, so long as you don't act on them. You can think anything you want. Just keep it inside and don't follow through and hurt somebody. But it's not like that with God. Things aren't limited like that with God. God sees and God cares about what's inside so that our internal lives, our meditations, can be pleasing to him, or for that matter, they can be displeasing to him, which is why these psalmists are saying it. I I want this aspect of my life to be acceptable to you. So, for example, it pleases God when our meditations are truthful, because we've fixed our eyes on his truth. It also pleases God when our meditations are careful, because we're handling the word of God like the weighty thing that it is. Pleases God when our meditations are patient, and we don't rush to hasty judgments about what he has said. It pleases God when our meditations are purposeful because our purpose is that we want to to come around to feel the way we ought to feel about his truth and then rise up and live like it. It's pleasing to him when our meditations are truthful, careful, patient, purposeful. So as you consider your own calling to stop and think about God's word, the course of the day and the course of the week, Just bear in mind that, happily, this is one of the ways that you love him with your mind. And by the way, isn't that a comfort to us as we get older? And our bodies aren't what they used to be. And we're not as active and as mobile as we used to be. Maybe we spend more time sitting than we used to. We can still love the Lord our God with all our minds. And and we can take comfort in this that he still takes holy, divine, happy pleasure in our meditations. So that's a second lesson we can learn here. Here's a third. And this from Psalm 49, especially. 
one of the great blessings that comes from being the kind of people who, who think about God's word like this is that it bears fruit when we share with other people the things that we've been thinking about and learning from that word. This is one of the reasons why this is a hallmark of the truly happy life. We get to share with other people the things that we've been thinking about and learning from that word. Take a look at Psalm 49 that's there on the the front of that handout. Psalm 49 is a wisdom psalm, right? The, The psalmist is saying, listen to my words and I'll teach you how to live. I'll teach you how to live well. Well, notice verse 3. This is such an interesting and valuable pairing. Verse 3, he says, My mouth shall speak wisdom. And then he says, The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. The point is, it's the meditation of his heart that comes out of his mouth. It's the meditation of his heart within that comes out of his mouth toward others. And and that's what makes him a good teacher of wisdom. This is what makes for a good teacher in any classroom, in any school, in any field, in any discipline, at any level. Think about somebody who was or maybe still is a good teacher in your own life. What makes for a good teacher is that you can tell that they've actually been thinking about the material. They take it personally that way. When they leave the classroom, when they drive away from school, they take it with them because it matters to them, and so they keep thinking about it. And how best to communicate it. They internalize it, which leads them then in their teaching to externalize it. They ponder it on the inside, and then it comes out of them. They share it. They share it with others in order to teach and bless and encourage. And the psalmist, Psalm 49, is giving us a glimpse of that. Our fellowship as believers ought to be like that. Each of us internalizing God's word, taking the time to chew on it in our minds, and then, as a kind of follow-up, taking the initiative to share with fellow believers something that we've noticed, something that we've learned some connection that we've made, some encouragement that we've drawn, perhaps some question that we're still wrestling with and troubled by. Let's be a people who meditate and then let our meditations come out of us in words that bless. Let's be a people like that. And then one more lesson to to glean from these psalms. Although I think I'm going to have one more after this one. So we'll call it four, yea, verily, five truths that we can learn together today. But this one is worth highlighting. And this one from Psalm 77. We need to understand, this is part of counting the costs of Christian discipleship. We need to understand that the life of meditation is not pain-free. The Christian life is a battle, and that battle does not cease to rage at the borders of the mind it crosses over into that territory. In a sense, the life of meditation hurts 
It costs. It entails sacrifice. Look again at Psalm 77. This is so poignant. He says, I I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. And then he says this, when I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. And then he says, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Now, we're we're familiar in the Psalms with the idea that David and his fellow psalmists, they pour out their souls to God. They cry out about their sufferings to God. We're familiar with that. We get that. They express their pain. And to be sure... Asaph, the psalmist, here in Psalm 77, is doing that. But what's so remarkable about this psalm, what we just heard, is that Asaph is saying, in a sense, it's when I meditate that it hurts more. Verse 3, he says, when I remember God, I moan. When I meditate... My spirit faints. In a sense, when we meditate upon God and His truth, it hurts more to live in a life like this. Why? Because when we stop and think about the Word of God, among other things, what we're reminded of is the glory of God and our place as His people and the glory of His promises, and that only makes us feel it more deeply That the way things are now is not the way they're meant to be. And that hurts. To to take the time to stop and gaze upon such breathtaking beauty in a world of ugliness. And then we look again at the ugliness of the world in which we live. Including the ugliness of our own sin. So that to meditate upon these things makes us feel all of that even more acutely. Brings to mind what Paul says in Romans 8, where he's talking about groaning. And he's talking about how creation itself, planet Earth, is groaning, longing for the day of its own liberation. And then Paul says this, Romans 8. He says, not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. See, that's another picture of the same phenomenon. When we stop and think about the Word of God, among other things, what we're reminded of is our own glorious hope, what Paul describes there in Romans 8. The the fruition of our adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. And that's what makes us groan. Because then we look back at this world, this life, our own lives as sinners here. And and we feel it even more acutely. That's what makes us groan, or as Asaph puts it in our psalm, that's what makes our spirits faint. So this is a reminder that the calling to Christian meditation is not some ivory tower business. 
that's removed from real life and the real pains of this real life. Far from it. We are called to think deeply about God's word as those who live and serve and strive and struggle and hurt and weep in a cursed world full of sinners like ourselves and who turn to this word and who think about it in order to make sense of it. This is not an ivory tower calling. Although, by the way, that expression, ivory tower, I'll just say, by the way, if you ever do find yourself in an ivory tower, no matter how tall it is, you'll find it still hurts up there. There's no tower that's so high that when you climb up into it, you've left the curse behind. When we meditate upon the word of God, these things are driven home. And that can hurt. That can make us ache. That can make us groan. That can make our spirits faint. And deep down, that may be one reason why some Christians don't want to be the kind of people who take the time to stop and think deeply about the Bible. Because it does hurt. You know the old joke. You go to see the doctor and you say, doctor, it hurts when I do this. And so what does the doctor say? He says, well, then don't do that. Sometimes it hurts when we stop and think deeply about God's word. And so our response might be, well, then I'm not going to do that anymore. And that, too, is one of the things that's so valuable about Psalm 77. Is that Asaph meditates anyway. Asaph who says, when I meditate upon you and your truth, my spirit faints. He's resolved that he's still going to be a man of meditation anyway. Look at verses 5 and 6. He says, I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. So even though he experiences this, the ache, the groaning, the fainting of being one who meditates upon the word of God, that does not dissuade him. But he goes to this word anyway and thinks about it. Why? Because it's God's truth. That's why. And because it's the truth of God, bailing out on it isn't an option. Treating it lightly isn't an option. How else can we relate to this word apart from internalizing it and thinking deeply about it? And also because the very same truth that makes us groan also gives us comfort. Because the very same word assures us that one day, soon and very soon, things will finally be as they're meant to be. Because Christ is going to come back and make it so. So when it comes to meditation, if you say, Paul, it hurts when I do this, I'm not going to be like that doctor who says, well, then don't do that. I'm going to say, I know. I know it does. I know it from my own experience. But don't give up on it. Don't close your Bible. Because of that ache, don't close your mind to it. Think deeply on God's truth because it is God's truth and because it's the only place you can go for the comfort that your fainting spirit needs. 
So these, these lessons, brothers and sisters, to glean from the Psalms today. One, meditation. This is one of the hallmarks of the truly happy life for all of us. Psalm 1. This is one of the ways that we please God. Our meditations can be acceptable to him. This is one of the ways that we bless others when our meditations on the inside come out of us in words that bless. And then finally, yes, this can hurt. But the same word we meditate on heals our hurts. So those four four lessons to learn today. I mentioned before that uh, I had one more in mind. We'll think of this as the bonus point of application. Getting back to where we, where we started, I said at the outset that people can be drawn to the book of Psalms because they like the idea of talking to God, but they might not be quite so drawn to the idea of listening to God and taking the time to stop and think about what they hear from him. So I'm going to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you this morning to stop and think about your human relationships and human interactions. If if you struggle to be somebody who stops and thinks about God's word, if you tend to be somebody who's all about talking to God, but not thinking all that much about what you've heard from him, could it be that that same thing spills over into human relationships? And is then reinforced by your human relationships. Do a little self-examination here. Could it be that you're the kind of person, say, over coffee with another person, who's all about talking, but not so good at listening? Even in ordinary conversations with other people, practice listening. Practice thinking about what you hear. And even asking to hear more. And learning from what you hear. Obviously, it's not the same thing. Listening to a fellow sinner and listening to God. But it's so often the case that the way we relate to God and the way we relate to one another go hand in hand. So practice this. Love other people with ears that listen. And a mind that considers. And with the blessing of God, that'll bear fruit in your loving God more and more in the very same way on your knees before him. May it be so. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And because it is your word, unlike any other word, it is worthy of this, that we stop and think about it that this should be woven into the fabric of our ordinary daily lives, that we are the kind of people who stop and think about what we have heard you say in your word. And at the same time that we acknowledge that, we cry out for grace because the world and the flesh and the devil make this challenging for us. So we pray for a renewed measure of your grace, that we might be such a thoughtful, mindful people 
is this. May we be a people who meditate upon your word and whose meditations are acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.